0: And if you understand that people are individuals and you treat them as such, that is a great way to engender trust on your team. Hi, my name is Chris Zaug, and welcome to Let's Talk Teams, a podcast by Uptick, the one-on-one meeting software that helps managers and their teams get on the same page. But more than that, actually having better conversations with one another not just talking about projects and status updates and all the stuff you can do via email. It really digs into the nitty gritty things, how work is going and how your team members work best, the conversations you never get to really have. Today's episode is gonna be a little bit different because I'm gonna be taking it on my own. and We're gonna talk a little bit about how you can use one-on-ones to rebuild the trust you lost. So as I was thinking about this today, one of the first questions we have to ask when we're trying to rebuild trust is how was trust lost? Because it's in identifying how it was lost that we can begin to fix it. For example, I was a part of an organization before where um, there was some difficulty with a particular manager who was really absent. Their leadership wasn't happening. Uh, It wasn't that he didn't want to lead, but he didn't know what to do, had some health issues, and really the team was left to flounder for quite some time. Now, as I came in as their new manager... Uh, to rebuild trust. I didn't have to fix anything that I had done, but I had been part of them. You know, the us were the the team members and them, they're the managers. Well, I was a part of them. So I needed to do first was to give them an idea that I was in it with them, that I wasn't going to be distant. I wasn't going to micromanage, but I wasn't going to be distant from them. So I remember some of the first one-on-ones I had with that team just spending a lot of time asking questions, trying to find out more about their job, how they liked to work, where were the areas where they felt successful, where did they feel like there were obstacles, and where did they feel ignored in the process? By asking a lot of those questions, really digging in and asking follow-up questions when I got the answers, um, I was beginning to get the process of rebuilding that trust. Now, if I had stopped there... Uh, it probably wouldn't have done anything because it would have been like, here's another guy, another leader doing his thing, coming in, asking a bunch of questions so that he can kind of figure us out and then lead us from afar again. So I needed to put my money where my mouth was. So one of the questions that I asked pretty regularly in this situation was, okay, what would you do if you were me to make this team work more efficiently, more productively, and really have a more fulfilling experience? And I got... All kinds of different suggestions across the way. Now, like most teams, these folks had been talking with each other. So they kind of knew um, what they thought and how they felt like things could could grow. So I knew that if I, if I took one or two of their suggestions, it didn't matter really whose they were, but one or two suggestions and really implemented them and saw them work and be effective, that that would begin to build the trust between me and the team members. So I did that. I said, okay, well, let's let's do some things that you guys have suggested, and let's see how it works out. And as it worked out, I felt the team felt like their fingerprints were in the plan. And as soon as you have that kind of ownership, you're going to start trusting each other more. Um, it didn't feel to them like uh, I was leading from a top-down perspective, but hey, we're in this together. We're going to ask about what your suggestions are. We're going to implement them and see how they go. Now, I've done that on a couple of occasions, and occasionally it doesn't work quite that well. Sometimes uh, I implement their ideas and they don't work well. But the, the same is true of mine. I'm fond of a saying that um, you know, I'd rather give uh, people speeding tickets than parking tickets. And by that, I mean, I prefer that you just kind of go for it and put your neck out there and fail than just sit back and play it safe. And in some cases, uh, my teammates went out there and they failed. They came up with ideas. They tried to implement them. They didn't work. But as I often say, look, I may bring you into the office and say, hey, let's not not do that thing again. But on the way out the door, I want to give you a high five for trying something different. And I found that in this particular situation, that worked pretty well. In this particular situation, though, there wasn't a lot of failure. There was just success. And that was something that really helped. But again, it was going back to asking questions, getting their input, implementing their input, and then uh, debriefing with them and and letting them know how much I appreciated what they brought to the table. So that was one solid way that I could see about rebuilding trust. Now, another issue that I had over the years that was really a failure of mine was one that we've talked about on some previous podcasts. And that was a situation where I was actually remote from the team that I was leading. I had a key leader in place um, several thousand miles away and uh, about 65 people that reported through that chain through him. And uh, he was really my window into that team. So we would talk on a daily basis and uh, he did a really good job of informing me what was going on there. But over time, I realized that I was beginning to two-dimensionalize people. Well, truth is, I didn't really even recognize it. I just was two-dimensionalizing people. I would see him as sort of the white hat, black hat. We would talk about these folks, and and I noticed myself beginning to be a little cynical. So somebody, you know, John's name came up, and John's name came up as a problem on more than one occasion, so every time John's name came up, I thought he was the problem. Really easy to do when you're not with somebody, and especially when you're not with anybody, I began to really see people in this white hat, black hat mentality, and uh, it, it began began to be a problem for me. Uh, I then thought, okay, I'm not leading well, the team isn't doing well, so I'm going to actually move physically from my location and join them where they were. So I traveled cross-country with my family, moved over there, and within about three weeks, I was incredibly humbled because as I sat across the table from these folks and I had lunch with them and I asked them questions and we talked about the work and talked about their lives, I realized that they weren't the problem, I was the problem. Because I had ceased to see the nuance in the decisions they were making, the work that they were doing. I really didn't understand the obstacles they were facing. And it really impeded my ability to have trust with them. So what I learned in that one was, you got to ask questions about the reasons why people aren't living up to your expectations. Instead of just complaining about it or black hatting them, what I did was I thought, okay, I'm going to really try to figure this out. And I literally had a Mia culpa in front of my entire staff just saying, hey, look, I'm really sorry. I I missed on a lot of this stuff, and I missed on it because I wasn't willing to dig a little deeper. So as a manager, when you notice that some of your team is beginning to uh, lose trust in you, and some of that is because you've misjudged their performance, or perhaps maybe you just haven't asked enough questions, I really encourage you to dig in. Find out what the obstacles your team are facing uh, really are, and then help them remove those together. And they'll feel like they've been heard. They'll feel like you're getting a complete picture of their their work and their job. And it begins to bring that trust factor back. Uh, in my case, it actually took a decent amount of time for me to do that because I had a couple of years to build up my poor leadership in that situation. So uh, a couple of months to really kind of dig in with my team and let them know that I was for them. Let them know that I was there to remove the obstacles for them was super helpful. So that was one area where it really, really helped. One of the other things that that helped that for me was to begin to put together uh, files on some of my team uh, with some of these inventory exercises, uh, things like the Strengths Finder or the Disk test or the Berkman or the Myers Briggs. Now, let me just say, uh, a lot of people have felt abused by those inventories. Because managers have have kind of thrown them back in their face. Well, you're this way. Or they put them in a box. That isn't the way to use those. The way to to do it is to gain some nuance. So when you see certain behavior or see and hear certain things from your team, you can put them in the context of who they are. So as an example, uh, there was a gal on my team who was incredibly driven to complete things. Uh, Sometimes I think prematurely. She would come in, and she really wanted to finish. It, having an unchecked-off list was really, really hard for her. And honestly, it was irritating to me at some times. Well, then I looked at our, one of our, these inventories we had, and I realized she was driven for closure. I was not in any way driven for closure. Well, once I realized that, I realized, okay, because of my weakness as a guy who doesn't need closure, I need people around me who will kind of organize things and get things completed. And so, instead of looking at her like a like a, somebody who was impeding my progress, I actually gave her an, or empowered her so that she could lead and really bring her gifts and abilities to the table. Now, we definitely had trust issues when we first started because I was suspicious of somebody who always wanted to complete something, and she looked at me like an idiot, like, this guy doesn't want to do anything and complete anything. But as we began to look at our own strengths and weaknesses and began to... Um, to value those, and leverage those in our relationship, she became one of my key people on my team, and she became my chief of staff. I mean, it was one of those things where I thought, okay, I can really trust her with a lot of uh, responsibility, because she saw my weaknesses and was able to speak to those, and she knew that I saw her strengths and weaknesses, and we were able to work together super well. So, that is a super way to begin uh, really trusting each other as a team, is understanding who that person is as an individual. They're not a pawn. They're they're a person with a certain set of gifts and abilities and personal proclivities that they bring to the table. And if you understand that people are individuals and you treat them as such, that is a great way to engender trust on your team. Another surefire way to make sure that you break trust with your team is by holding people accountable for things that they have no idea they were supposed to be doing. Uh, I've seen this on a lot of occasions, including in my own leadership from time to time, uh, where somebody is, you know, we're in a meeting, we're having a conversation, and, and in the middle of it, somebody says, well, Jim, why didn't you do this? And he's got, you know, 15 sets of eyes on him. He's feeling embarrassed and humiliated. And the truth is, he never even knew he was supposed to do it. But what is he supposed to say? And that immediately breaks trust because you've done something in public that is humiliating and there wasn't clarity in what his responsibilities were. So one of the things that I make sure that I do in my one-on-ones is that I'm consistently bringing out what are the priorities that we're going to be working on in the next week or two weeks? What are the things we're going to agree to? And really that is accountability for my team member, but also for me, because first of all, I need to have thought about their job and what they're doing and how I'm going to apply their unique set of gifts and abilities to the job. But I'm also agreeing that this is what I'm asking you to do, and I'm not going to come back later and say, why didn't you do this other thing? Unless I go back and we reconstruct or recalibrate our priorities. And so often, uh, things are assumed, but if they're assumed, they're often forgotten and it becomes a problem. So I get in my one-on-ones. We talk about the priorities, we write them down, we see how they relate to our goals, and then we make sure that we're working on those things. Then the team member can be held accountable to the things they're supposed to do. And then I can be held accountable as a manager to the things that I'm agreeing to. Yes, this is what I want Karen to do. I've talked to Karen about it. We've worked together on it. And now she knows exactly what's expected of her. And then we kind of avoid the gym scenario where somebody gets blindsided in the middle of a meeting because in that scenario, Jim would just say, that's not one of my priorities. It's not what I'm working on right now. And that would end the conversation and save Jim a lot of humiliation. One of the comments that I hear from a lot of team members is that my boss has no idea what I do. And for me, that is a tragedy because uh, people want to be known. When people come into a workplace, I, I, I once heard a said, that people come to a relationship, whether it's a community thing or a church or a or a work or anything. They come there and they want to serve and be served. They want to love and be loved. And of course, that's different depending on the community. And they want to know and be known. They want to know the people that they report to, the people that hold their career or their lives in their hands. And they want to be known. They want people to know what they're good at, that they're not just a uh, you know, a pawn in the game. So, one of the things I try to make sure I do in my one-on-ones is ask people about the things they like doing, not just understanding the actual job that they do. In other words, the things they do. I make widgets, but what do they like about making widgets? What do they like about um, about the community of widget makers that they enjoy? How do, how would they improve widget making? You know, all of those things help a team member understand that the manager gets it. Now, I have a lot of people that report to me that are a lot smarter than I am, and they have skills and abilities that I couldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. I mean, we've got developers that understand all kinds of different languages. and I have a rudimentary understanding of some of it, but to be honest, I would be lost about two questions deep in most of that. So I'm not necessarily going to ever understand the actual code that they write and the way that they write it. But I can understand some of their challenges, whether it's tools that they don't have, whether it's miscommunication between them and their teammates. If I understand the environment that they're working in and the kind of jobs that they need to to complete and what those obstacles are, they're going to feel known and that will really build trust. I've actually had some of my, my teammates share with me how much they appreciate having one on ones where we have those conversations because they honestly feel like, okay, this guy gets it. Now, he can't do my job, but he understands my job. And I think that's a really important thing for managers to be able to do. Lastly, I want to talk about how we can build trust on our teams by making sure that our relationships are consistent. And by that, I mean, we want to make sure that um, there aren't surprises that happen all the time. You know, we've all been in those relationships where we're having a conversation with our manager and we're all of a sudden they bring something up we've never heard. Uh, Maybe it's in a review. I mean, that's one way that's just been horrible for so many people. They go a year, they think they're doing a great job, and then they show up in their review, and they hear something they've never heard before. And now it's in their official record. And it it just feels unfair. And that breaks trust. For sure it does. So one of the things I want to make sure that I do is I don't want to surprise people. People do not like bad surprises. In fact, A lot of people don't like any surprises. I'm kind of like one of those people. Uh, But they for sure don't like bad surprises. So as you get to performance reviews or you get into a relationship where perhaps you don't speak to somebody in, in a long time, make sure that you're asking questions, that you're kind of digging in in a different way. And if you can, communicate regularly with them. If you see something that needs improvement, keep short accounts. Let them know how you're feeling about it. Hey, This is something I noticed the other day. Let's talk a little bit about it. Ask them some questions about what they were thinking. Um, Give some constructive feedback if you need to, but keep short accounts. The worst thing I've ever done is when I haven't spoken to somebody in months and I bring them into the office and then I, I, I dress them down for something that they did. They've heard nothing from me for months and then I just do that. In fact, I just heard of a situation recently where somebody was working in an environment, pretty toxic environment, where their uh, bosses hadn't really given them any constructive feedback in a long time. And then ad hoc just scheduled a review and reviewed this person. They weren't reviewing anyone else in the company. They just wanted to review them because they had some constructive feedback they wanted to give. Now, I could argue that perhaps it wasn't even constructive feedback. But the problem with that was there was no relationship. There was no trust. I can't imagine with my wife or my kids having very little relationship, and then all of a sudden feeling like it was okay for me to just kind of wade in and give them some negative feedback. So it's really, really important that you not surprise your team, that you keep regular, accountable one-on-ones where you can talk about the issues, wade into them when they're small, because if you let them grow, they're gonna get bigger anyway, and they're gonna feel bigger if they come off as a huge surprise. So again, no surprises, short accounts, Mm -hmm. Communicate regularly in your one-on-ones. So that's it for today. We'll be doing more of these things. My co-host, Michael Probert, will be doing some as well. We'd love to answer your questions. So please hit us up at Uptick app on Twitter with your questions you'd like to see us answer. And of course, you can also message me personally at Chris Out. And don't forget, if you want to make your one-on-ones better with your team or with your manager, check out Uptick by visiting UptickApp.com.